Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast is sponsored by ProGK. For all your goalkeeping needs, please visit www.pro-gk.com using coupon code MOG for a 20% discount. Tonight on Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast, we've got former South United goalkeeper Simon Royce. Simon, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Brilliant. Um, so for me, it's quite an honour really because uh, I'm a South End supporter um, and I think I told you this previously that you and uh, Paul Sanson were probably the reason why I got into goalkeeping all them years ago. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've got you to thank really. So, so thank you for that. Um, so yeah, so the podcast, I decided to do it just to, to try and get um, time sitting down with goalkeepers, former goalkeepers and goalkeeping coaches, just to pick their brains on things, get um, the conversation going about their careers and, and see if we can get some value from it. And, and I felt that um, you were, were definitely the type of goalkeeper that I wanted to, to bring on to the, the podcast. Um, okay. So just looking at your, your career, Simon, you, you started at Haybridge Swifts. That's right. Um, went to South United, yeah. where you made a number of appearances um, over a seven-year period. Yeah. Then went into the Premier League. Um, and by the way, if there's any mistakes in your career history, um, yeah. I'll have to blame Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's... <laughs> well, I think they've got me. At, I think they've got me about five foot nine in Wikipedia. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Just, well, yeah, I tell you, they, our, our analyst at, at Dagenham does that sometimes. Like you look yeah. at players, you think I might have got that from Wiki. Um, yeah. So. Went into the Premier League uh, with Charlton. Yeah. Then on to Leicester, Brighton. Had some loan spells with Manchester City, QPR, uh, yeah. Luton. Back to QPR. Yeah. On, yeah. on loan to Jules. Um, and then finished your career at Brentford. All in all, 431 appearances over a 21-year career. Yeah, that's right. Very, very sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, it's very, very good. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll be honest. The main parts that I really want to discuss tonight are the South End parts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Everything else is brilliant, but as a South End supporter, um, that's what I'm really interested in. So. Okay. Cool. Um, so when you when you started at Haybridge Swifts, what what was the situation there? Well, basically, I was. <clears throat> I was painting and decorating when I come out of school. Um, and I was just, I hadn't played any senior football. Um, I was playing centre forward for a team in Danbury on a Saturday with a few mates and whatever. Um, I played from the age of nine through till 16 for the same team, Morden Saints. Um, same team as uh, Justin Edinburgh's. I played in the same team as Justin Edinburgh. I played a year above myself. Um, from nine till sixteen, never missed a game, and and I was I was basically put in goal. I, I didn't want to play in goal. I went down as a centre forward at nine years old, and they said, "Well, can you go in goal?" I went in goal, and I stayed there ever since. So I finished there at sixteen, finished the schooling, um, and then, like I said, I was playing on a on a park with with a few mates for Danbury. Um, and then a couple of lads were playing for Haybridge Social, uh, who played for Swiss Reserves. And I went and played a couple of games with them. And they said, oh, we need a, a goalkeeper for the reserve team down at Haybridge Swift. So I went and played a couple of games with them. 
Um, and then they asked me to sign up and got into the first team at Haybridge Swifts. Um, played the last four or five games of, of one season and then broke into the first team at Swifts in the Deodora Division 1 as it was at the time. Uh, and then the following season, I think it may well have been about it was 1990, um, first 15 games, had 12 clean sheets and had a few few teams looking round and um, Dave Webb come down to the, the boardroom at Haywood Swifts and offered me a contract there and then. Wow. Yeah. So, so growing up, did you have any sort of goalkeeper coaching at all? None whatsoever. Wow. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Um, even in the early years at South End, never really had any full-time goalkeeping coaching. And we might have. I think uh, Joe Sullivan came in a couple of days a week. Um, but we just trained ourselves. We never, we never really had any goalkeeping coaching. Uh, I'd say the, the first full-time goalkeeping coach I had was when I went to Charlton after I left Southend, um, which, uh, for me, I'd like to think if, I, if I'd have had full-time goalkeeping coaching when I first went into Southend, knowing what I've done now in my coaching, coaching career and seeing how keepers push forward, mm. um, who knows what would have happened, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong, I had a lovely career and what have you, but who knows where it would have gone if I... Had have had that coaching, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's an amazing story. I, I wasn't aware of that that you wasn't a goalkeeper, and it, it's interesting because I obviously had um, Elliot Justin, who I'm working with at Dagenham um, at the moment on on the last podcast, and yeah. and he hadn't um, he, he was a defender, a left back and a centre back up until he was yeah. 17, um, and you know, fast forward 13 years, he's you know played 160 yeah. games in uh, for Dagenham and. and you know, played in League Two as well, and it's just amazing people's journeys. You know, it's always it's not always as clear cut as you'd think that they've been no. goalkeepers from the start. You know, no, I think I think how the games evolved. Um, I think when I started playing at nine through till sixteen, I think everybody wanted to be a centre forward. Yeah, I, I do think nowadays how the games changed um, with the goalkeeper being more like an outfield you need to, to be able to use your feet much better and, and be like a the extra outfield player I think a lot more young kids and whatever now don't don't mind wanting wanting to play in goal I, di- I didn't want to play in goal when I was nine or I really didn't but I just got put there and just stayed there like mm. I said but I do think how the game's evolving if you've if you've been a half decent outfield player as a child mm. And you're good with your feet. Um, if you can keep it out the net, then it, it's it's great grounding. Yeah. Um, and I do think a lot more kids nowadays don't mind playing in goal. Whereas I think when I like when I was growing up, I, I don't think I don't think the kids wanted to play in goal so much. No, I think you're right there. I think there's probably a lot more glamour about being a goalkeeper nowadays as well. Yeah. So that yeah, probably definitely. that probably um, is an attraction. Um, yeah. So when you was at Haybridge Swifts, was I take it you was you was working. Doing the painting and decorating. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, and, and if there was no painting decorating, you know, there was jobbing around schools, doing a little bit of glazing and, right. and bits and pieces and and all that sort of thing. So I was a builder and decorator, really. So did you did you have any sort of um, aspirations to become a professional footballer? No, I never thought it was good enough. Really? 
Yeah, never. Okay. Never thought it was going to be good enough. Um, until until that season at Swifts, when uh, there was a couple of people spoke to me and said, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, um, there's a couple of clubs that are looking at it going professional. I've gone, yeah, righty Yeah. I don't think I'm good enough. And I, I I just enjoyed it. You know, I was very, very sporty all through school. I was sports captain, basketball, rugby, cricket. You know, I did everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I could have I, I could have pushed on with the basketball. I had England trials for basketball. And I think that stood me a good stead for the goalkeepers as well, obviously with mm-hmm. the spring and the eye for the ball and what have you. But yeah. football really was at the back of my mind. Mm, yeah. Although I loved playing, it, it was at the back of my mind of ever you ever going into it as a job. Um, so when it did happen, um, it was quite surprising, quite daunting, really. But ended up taking to it like a duck to water. Yeah, I was going to say that it sounds like from what you said there, you 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 were an all round sportsman. Um, yeah, and, and I find it fascinating myself in terms of the crossovers between different sports. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you've mentioned there that you you were particularly good at basketball, and obviously, there's yeah. no doubt that you know, um, with the aspect of using your hands as a goalkeeper would, that you you would have picked up some transferable skills there. Yeah, well, I took it into my coaching as well. You know, when I went to Brentford. Um, when we'd be on uh, a pre-season tour and what have you, I'd always try and find um, the, a venue where they had a basketball court and I'd take the keepers, however many I had, two or three at the time, we'd go in and, and have a like just one day session away from uh, the, the outfield players and whatever and, and take them into the basketball court for their agility and hand-eye coordination and whatever. And yeah. they, you know, they loved it. Um, it just as something a little bit different. And I tried to... I tried to put that into the coaching, uh, perhaps once a month, um, just as a just as something a little bit different. You yeah, know? yeah, just to, yeah. No, I agree with that. That's brilliant. Um, so you, you you mentioned there that Dave Webb come down, um, yeah. offered you a contract there and then at Haybridge Swifts. Yeah. Um, I've I've written down here in my notes that you you went for thirty five thousand pound. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's that's quite a decent amount of money uh, for for you know. Or basically a non-league goalkeeper at that time who'd, who'd only been playing for a short while? Yeah, I was 19. Like I said, playing in Decker in 19. They paid the club. And, and to, to a club like Haybridge Swiss in 1991, that was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so um, what they did with the money, I think they built a stand and, and what have you. Um, but it, it sorted the club out for a, for a long, long time, you know. Mm. I got a little bit of a signing-on fee, which was quite nice, you know. I signed a two-year contract. I think I got 1,250 quid each year as a signing-on fee. And for me, coming out of school, 19 years old, I was earning £250 a week doing what I was doing. Um, then to be given £350 a week and two and a half grand over two years, I was like, wow, no, I couldn't believe it. It doesn't sound a lot now, and it's not in relative terms to the amount of money that's in the game as it is now. Yeah. But to a 19-year-old lad just who, who had to give a week's notice to his boss, it was, oh, I won the lottery, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so when you when you signed for Southend, what was your mindset like? What was you thinking when you sort of went to the training ground and, you know, you're now around a number of ex- experienced pros? 
well, we trained at um, Gloucester Park at Basildon right. when I joined. Uh, you know, and I walked in and first day's training, there was a couple of other keepers, uh, keepers there. Um, and my actual first day's training, I didn't do any goalkeeping. They said, oh, we've got a goalkeeper. We need somebody. We're doing a phase of play. Can you can you just play out field for us for a little bit? So I did. And a couple of the lads were saying, oh, this lad's not bad, is he? And I went, well, no, he's a goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually a goalkeeper. You know, they said, you won't need your gloves today. You know, so it was quite surreal. I think, well, I've joined as a goalkeeper and I'm playing left wing. Right. <laughs> so, but it, it turned out all right. Um, so when you joined Southend, I, I take it Paul Sanson was there. Who else was there yeah. at the time? Uh, Jimmy, oh God, what I can't remember his surname to be honest with you. His name was—I know his name was Jimmy. Um, well, I cannot for the life of me remember. It's so long ago. Right. Um, yeah, but he was. It was because obviously I, it was like it, it, I was training with a reserve. I think it was the first time I, I trained with reserves. Paul Sanson wasn't there. Right. They were they were training separately. Um, then I obviously got the gloves on and, and started training fully. Um, we just trained ourselves, mm. just mixed in. So that so was that a bit of a shock to the system from sort of going to to from working full time painting and decorating and, and doing the you know the odd jobs building and bits and bobs. Yeah. Training a couple of evenings and, and playing on a Saturday for Haybridge to now being a, a yeah. full-time professional footballer. Well, yeah, everything had to change, you know. Um, I mean, I didn't start drinking until I was eighteen years old, anyway. So, obviously, my lifestyle had to change, um, food-wise. Whatever, you know, at nineteen years old, eighteen, nineteen years old, you ate what you wanted, drank what you wanted, went out when you wanted, went to bed when you wanted, got up when you wanted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. That all had to change. My mindset had to change. But I think being having a proper job um, from school gave me a great grounding, and I felt really privileged to, you know, it was like, oh wow, I'm a, I'm a professional footballer. A lot mm-hmm. of people talk to me and say, well, what do you do for a living? And I, well, and I hated telling them, you know, because I felt embarrassed. I thought it was like they thought I was being big time. Right, you know, but you know, I, I I play football for a living. I'm a professional footballer, so well, yeah, I suppose I am. Yeah, <laughs> um, it took a little while to sink in, to be honest. But you know, once uh, once I broke into the first team, whatever it's, it, it, you know, you know how to, and you're longer in the game, you know how to handle yourself and whatever you know what to t- what to tell people, and, and you tell them what they want to hear, and yeah. um, and just. Just have to do everything right, you know. How was um, this? Is a bit more of a personal question in terms from from me. How was your working relationship with Paul Sanson? Fantastic. He taught me loads. I loved Sammy. He was a great lad. Um, when I when I broke into the first team and, and and took his shirt, you know, we was in a hotel one night. I remember this conversation. We was at a hotel one night when we was at a away game and whatever and. And I was playing the next day, and he was on. The, he was he wasn't involved, um, and he said, "You know, I'm really pleased you got in the team. You do." He said, "But I want my shirt back." Right. And I said, "Well, you know, obviously I'd be I'd feel exactly the same." You know, um, he said, "But I want my shirt back," and I said, "That's fine." I said, "That can only be healthy for the football club. You've got two goalkeepers here, one young, coming in hungry, 
yourself, very experienced, whatever. I said, and I feel privileged to have actually taken your shirt, mm. given out the games you've played, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, we had a great relationship. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I remember I probably started going to watch South End in the early 90s. I would imagine around about the time that you signed for the club. So it would have been about 90, 1991. That's right. Um, that's when I signed, yeah. I signed, I signed in the October. Right. October the 16th, I believe it was. Yeah. I mean, what, one of my earliest memories was, I think it was New Year's Day, and Southend beat Newcastle 4-0. I was in the stand, yeah. Yeah, so I was sitting there with my dad. I, I must have been about six. So, mm. but it, Oh, it, cheers, you made me feel right old now. Well, it's, <laughs> it's making me feel old as well now, to be fair. But it, it just a fantastic... Um, Fantastic memory, and as I said, watching you over the years as as a supporter, um, seeing your journey as well, and uh, now getting to speak to you um, about is is very surreal to be perfectly honest. But um, so as you progressed at South, and obviously you then become the number one. Yeah. Um, how how did you deal with that change from sort of being understudy to Paul Sanson? to then becoming, um, taking the shirt from him and then establish, establishing yourself as the number one at the football club? I found um, that I needed to have consistency because I knew with Sammy in the wings, like I said, with the experience he had, I needed to be consistent. Um, I think I made my debut in the March of the 92 under Webby at Grimsby at home. Um, and then I didn't play another game until Barry Fry was manager um, West Ham at home and that was my first two uh, senior games um, but once I'd made them two appearances it made me hungry for more um, and that was when I really knuckled down um, I think it could be too easy when, you, when you're in the reserves and picking up whatever money you're picking up. It can be too easy to just sit on your laurels and go, oh, you know what, it's all right, because you're worried about pressure and making mistakes and whatever. But I made them two first-team appearances and I wanted I wanted more. Um, and after that, managed to break the first team and, and, and never look back, really. Mm. So like those two, those two first-team appearances, you sort of got the bit between your teeth and, and felt right. This is this is my goal now. I want to take this shirt. I think so. I think more so the second game. Um, the first game, I knew it was a one-off. Sammy had got uh, sent off, I believe, and I managed to get into the team. Um, and we won. That was great. But like I said, Webby left. Barry Fry was manager. Um, and I think it was because it was against West Ham at home. Um, and the team they had they were pushing for promotion I think they were top of the league um, and to keep a clean sheet and to beat them and have such a good performance that's that's the, that was the turning point for me right. that I knew that I'm actually pretty good at this um, and I should have a pretty, uh, pretty decent career you know? Yeah. so in, in that space of time from you joining the club David Webb signed you yeah. Left the club. Am I right? Was was Colin Murphy there before Barry Fry? Uh, I think Barry Fry did. Barry Fry took over from Webby, didn't he? I don't know. That's this is maybe where I should have done my proper research. But I I, yeah, I, I, I thought it was. Um, what was it? 
I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people screaming at their uh, no, phones see, now at the minute. Yeah, couldn't hear me. It may well have been Colin yeah. Murphy. You didn't know a lot, so my memory's not that great. Oh, yeah. But um, so you you had it must have been it must have been Barry Fry because. Right. I made my debut in the March. Barry Fry, then I'm sure Barry Fry came in after Webby. Mm. And I believe after Barry Fry, it was Colin Murphy PT. Right. So so that was going to be my question. So in a short space of time, you've worked for three or four managers. How did you deal with that? Yeah, I didn't expect it. You know, obviously I was gutted when Webby left, giving me my first professional contract and my chance in the game, you know. Um, but then you, you do you do worry that a manager comes in and perhaps they don't like you so much, you know. Um, Colin Murphy, def- I know Colin Murphy came in and he tried to send me out on loan. Maybe sitting in the office, he went, "Yeah, you're not bad, you're not bad." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I need to send you on loan. He said, "I want you, to, I want you to go to Grays on loan." I said, "I want to go to Grays on loan." Um, so thinking about it, Colin Murphy could well have been after Dave Webb, you know. Yeah, I think he was. Cause, yeah, because yeah. I don't think he lasted that long, did he? No. And then Barry Fry. No, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that is right because yeah, yeah that that's, that falls true. Um, I said I don't want to go on loan. You know, I'm I'm a young lad. I've just I've, I've made a couple of first team appearances or a first team appearance. Uh, I want to. You know, they didn't have sub goalkeepers at the time, so I was only training. So I was in the stand, obviously, uh, on match days. Um, so yeah for me Colin Murphy coming in trying to send me on loan give me even more of a bit between teeth to train harder and and, and get that first team spot yeah it's interesting that because I, I, I look back and I think you know the days of when there was maybe two subs and then they introduced the third sub which was the goalkeeper mm. thinking about it for the goalkeeper if he was the backup goalie you know, you're, you're, you're training every week, but there's not really anything at the end of the week. I know there's obviously yeah. the odd midweek game for the reserves and whatever else, but you know yeah. that, that Saturday to Saturday, you, you're essentially just a training goalkeeper and not really even involved in the match day squad. Yeah, that's right. And I think me turning down that loan move to Grays was probably the best thing I did because I think then that coincided with the substitute goalkeeper uh, rule coming in yeah. and and playing that game against West Ham. So I think if I'd have gone to Grays, it would have had a detrimental effect on my career. Um, and I made the decision and it proved to be the right one in the end. Sort of a little bit out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. Um, so just just a little bit on Barry Fry. How, how did you find working with Barry Fry? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Obviously, he's a larger-than-life character. He, he didn't really get involved too much in training coaching-wise. He had Ed Steen and David Howell there to, that did most of the, the coaching. He was pretty much on the sideline barking his orders. Right. Um, he was a motivator, um, man-to-man manager. We um, got the best out of his players. Yeah. Whether they'd come from like a, a bigger team dropping down to, to play under him or whether they were a non-league player coming up into a higher team t- yeah. to play for him. He got the best out of his players and um, took us to the heavy heights. I think, I think I believe it was our second or third in the division when Birmingham came in for him. Yeah. Um, and then the results just went 
the other way. And it, it obviously just proved that, um, obviously, you know, he took a few players with him as well, which normally happens when a manager moves um, around that sort of, them sort of levels of football. Um, but I think it had a, quite a big effect on the club. And I think we just dropped like a stone off yeah. the left. Because I've, I've, I'm pretty sure my brother's got it. It's like the 93-94 highlights video. And yeah. some of the football and some of the goals that the team was scoring. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's one that sticks in my mind, Ricky Otto away at Barnsley. Yeah. Just unbelievable. And you look at that, that team and where they were in the league and you just think to yourself, as a supporter, what could have been if Barry Fry had, yeah. had stayed in the building? Yeah, yeah. He knows his football. You look what he's done at Peterborough. He's brought, brought players in. He, yeah. he knows he knows a player. Um so it was a shame and I'm not taking nothing away from the managers that come in after Barry um, but it was difficult because mm. he lost a lot of players like I said he took a lot with him and it was difficult and the club went into a bit of a transition period yeah um, so one thing I want to ask you I've just written down on my notes there's um, <laughs> there's a video on, on YouTube and it's um, of the Anglo-Italian Cup trip um, mm-hmm. I've got a feeling it. I don't think it was Fiorentina I think it was someone Padova or someone like that again mm-hmm. I'm sure that there'll be people screaming at the, their phones listening to this saying I've got it wrong but the video it just it makes me laugh in, in some respects because there's um, some footage of the, the, the players uh, training on just almost like it looks like a park pitch and everyone's got different bits of training kit on and um, you're joining in with the outfield players and yeah. John Gowans is crossing balls into Sammy. Um, <laughs> it just, it looks, when when you look at how things are now, obviously yeah. like this is the Anglo-Italian Cup, um, yeah. a professional team going across, you know, to Italy to play another professional team and from the footage it looks, it looks a little bit like a bit of a pub team situation. But Yeah, that's how the game's evolved it is and that's what it was like, you know, when when a club's on a budget, um, I don't know how it worked with expenses. Whether the club had to pay their own or whether it was shares, the flights and getting over there and, and what have you. And uh, I don't know why it didn't carry on, but I think there was a lot of trouble. Um, I think there was a lot of red cards, and <laughs> I, I, I do remember there was we had trouble in the tunnel with a player that got sent off, you know, and I think there was, there was a lot of animosity between the Italian and the, and the English teams for some, for, for whatever reason, but we ended up playing at Fiorentina. Mm. And that is a massive club in Italy. Yeah. So I, th- I think the competition was fantastic. You know, it's like a little mini Europe, European cup mm. for, for teams like South End, um, whether they could earn any money out of it or whatever, but obviously getting to the final, was fantastic. I think we were very close. We lost on penalties to Notts County away, I believe, to get to the final. Yeah, I, I think, think it was Graham Brett and missed the missed the penalty. Yeah, I was just going to say that sticks in my mind. How um, how was that experience for you? Going was that your first um, experience of playing football abroad? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, I think we played at Salernitana, Brescia, Fiorentina. Um, I think Padova, but no, it was great. Mm. And, you know, it was fantastic. Um, obviously, 
looking later on into my career, I never, you know, I thought, oh, this is my my European adventure, you know. But then, obviously, joining Leicester and ended up ended up being involved in a squad in in the UEFA Cup. So, um, managed to take another step forward from the Anglo Italian. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, just moving on slightly, obviously, Barry Fry leaves the club. Uh, PT comes in. Yeah. You said obviously there was a transition and results sort of fell away a little bit. Um, yeah. <clears throat> then PT left the club. Then I think it was the following season, um, mm. or maybe in the season after that. Ronnie Whelan was brought in as a player, then become sort of player manager. How how was that yeah. for you? I loved Ronnie. Um, I, I loved PT as well. Um, but like I said obviously results and league position what didn't work out he's a fantastic coach Pete and he's you know he should be proud of what he's done in the game um, but Ronnie come in uh, brought in Theo God rest his soul um, as an experienced coach masses masses of experience between the two of them you know mm-hmm. the managers that Ronnie had played under and you know we couldn't believe it when Ronnie Wheeler walks in the building yeah um, but he did uh, and I think there was they backed him you know Jobson backed him you know he, he brought in some great players Mike Marsh and Yoran Bora and the club started to spend some money and I thought I thought to myself you know what we're going to start going some places and, and it upped my game you know it was yeah. 95, 96 I think I won player of the year in 96 well and I've, got, I've I, got a um, I think I showed you it. I've got a signed photo in a frame that my dad got me from the, the club shop. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, I've they, still got that. They wasn't available for sale, I don't think, but somehow he got it, and uh, <laughs> I still got it. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that was great times, and that was my my best times at Southend were under Ronnie. I played my best football under Ronnie, I believe. Right. Um, it was, it was, then I left. There was contract negotiations, backwards and forwards, for me to sign a contract and I won't go into it but I ended up leaving on a Bosman which was you know I had two years left in my contract and I, I run, my, run my two years my two years down and I said I'll never sign another contract for this club which was a shame and I didn't want to do that because I loved the place right. um, but it was just things that went on behind the scenes that stuck in my mind and left a bit of a bit of taste in my mouth yeah it's a big shame so you, you mentioned Vic Jobson there how was your yeah. re- uh, relationship with him I think that was one of the main reasons why I left. Right. Um, and I, I never, I, I'm not going to speak bad of anyone. I'm not going to do that. But I had a contract offered to me, um, which uh, I thought I was going to sign. I've just won player of the year. Um, I remember sitting in his office and he said, I'm not actually going to run this contract. Do you know how much, do you know, actually know how much I'm going to be paying you? Um, and I said, well, yeah, I think I deserve it, to be honest. He just won player of the year. Uh, there's, there's teams thinking about taking me Premier League teams top flight teams and he said well I, I can't do it I said okay well I'll, I'll never sign another contract for this club and walks out right which is a shame um, and that that wasn't that was, wasn't me but I was just I had to look after my own interests mm. so the the, the season um, that Ronnie Ronnie got sacked. Southend were relegated. I think that was the 96-97 season. Yeah, I'd left. You'd gone by then, right? Okay. I so think I'd left. Yeah. At the end of that season. So, so was you? I was, left at the end of the season. Yeah, that's no. We got relegated. 
my contract had finished, I left at the end of the season and I think he got the sack during the summer, didn't he? Right. Okay. So you then um you signed for Cholton in the Premier League. Yeah. How how did that come about? Um I got a phone call from uh Keith Peacock. I was at home in Holbridge. Got a phone call from Keith Peacock, um asking me if I would like to go and have a chat, meet up. Um, at a hotel in Kent um, they just got promoted through the playoffs at Wembley that infamous game against Sunderland oh where, where the penalty was saved that's right yeah by Sasserilic yeah um, I said yeah, yeah great yeah I'll, I'll come and have a chat because I, obviously I, I didn't know what I was doing I was out of contract at South End I said I'd never sign again and I had I hadn't had any other offers within two days Watford phoned me Graham Taylor he said would you like to have a chat would like you to come up here um, now Watford were in the first division obviously Charlton just got promoted to the Premier League but um, I actually spoke to Watford and Charlton on the same day Right. I drove I drove and spoke to Curbs and Keith Peacock in Kent um, they offered me a contract there and then um, and I said, obviously, I, I told them, I was I was honest with them, I said, I'm actually talking to another club as well. Um, so I'm not going to go behind your back. And I drove up to Watford and had a chat with um, Grant Taylor. He offered me a contract as well. And they actually offered me more money than Charlton did. And they were in the first division. It was actually quite a lot more money. Um, I had to move within 20 minutes of the stadium at Watford. Uh, I was going into Charlton as a number three. They had four free keepers there already, Sasha Willich, Mickey Salmon and um, Petson. So I was going in, essentially, and Mickey Salmon was injured, so I was essentially going in there as a number three. And I plumped for Charlton right. on less money because I think it was the lure of the Premier League. And I was, you know, I'd back myself, well, you know what, if I get in there, mm. do well. Hopefully, try and break into the first team. So, was, um, you, was you able to to stay in in sort of the the Holbridge area and commute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an hour. Right. Yeah, so we stayed in Holbridge, and it was an hour drive. Uh, the training ground was at Elton. On a good run, we could do it in forty five. So, mm. and that suited more for me and the family. Mm. So, and like I said, the Premier League, the Premier League pool was a little bit too much. Yeah, I was just going to say that because I think I'm I'm pretty sure Watford got promoted that season, but. And we got relegated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? So yeah, I mean, but they're they're the decisions that you make at the time with with the information you've got. You know, it's yeah. it's one of them, really, isn't it? You you know, yeah. all could have could have should have would have sort of thing. Um, yeah. So obviously you 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 played for Cholton, um, then moved on to Leicester, where you teamed yeah. up with with Peter Taylor again. How did that come about? Um, I was at Charlton for two years and in the second year I had an ACL reconstruction I ruptured my ACL playing for the first team and I only played eight first team games at the time yeah. and ruptured my ACL um, and I managed to get back fit um, Charlton were unanaring whether to offer me a new contract because they were worried about the fitness and then Peter got the lesser job he rung me he said, come to my house in Thorpe Bay, we'll have a chat. And he said, how's the knee? I said, yeah, no, the knee's fine. I've, I've been training. I've not played a, a senior game for a good 14 months. He said, I'm not worried about that. 
he said, you know, know what you can do. He said, we've lost Peggy RFX, he's gone, I need a number two. So <clears throat> I had a chat with him and he said, yeah, well, I'll speak to my CEO and we'll get something put together. Right. Um, ended up offering me a contract and then moving up to Leicester, stayed in the hotel for three months and moved the family up there. Loved it. So you, you was there for three years? Yeah. Um, and in that time, there was a loan to Brighton? That's right, yeah. Uh, that, that coincided with Pete Taylor getting the sack. Yeah. And Dave Bassett and Mickey Adams <clears> coming in. <throat> Obviously, Mickey Adams was um, a Brighton manager. He'd been at Brighton and whatever, and uh, they needed a goalkeeper, and I wasn't in the team. After PT left, I wasn't involved under Bassett and Mickey Adams. Not said managers have their own opinions on players. Um, I ended up going to Brighton on loan. Uh, I think I only spent a month there. That was under PT as well, because yeah. PT had got the Brighton job. Yeah. So I went there for a month, uh, went back to Leicester. Um, was never going to be in their plans and thankfully you know I still had two years left to run my contract at Leicester but then thankfully um, Charlton came in Leicester said you know we, we'll we'll pay you up if you can get a club we'll pay you up we'll pay you up a percentage of what you left on your contract and you can go so luckily Charlton came in and I went back there for another two years mm. and that, that obviously is an opportunity to Bring your family back down south as well. Yeah, that's right. We moved back to Holbridge. Um, a little bit, a bit of pill, really, because we loved it where we were. Um, but at least we were coming back to a place that we knew. Yeah. So, a couple of years at Cholton. Um, yeah. In there was a couple of loans to Luton uh, and QPR, and then yeah. you, then you moved to QPR permanently in two thousand and five. Yeah. Um, I played, the, the, when I first went back to Charlton, Dean Carley had been sent off the last game of the season, the previous previous season. So then I played the first game of the season, um, but then never played another game. Dean got back in the team, obviously, he was the, the solid number one. I knew I was going back, back there as a number two, but um, Dean never missed a match pretty much. Unless he got sent off, he never got injured. Uh, and it got to the stage in the second year of my contract, and I said, "When it's close to I need to play. I'm 28, 29 now. I need to play matches." Um, so I managed to get a couple of loans. Um, the loop one only played two games. Mark um, Beresford got back fit, and they put him back in. So only played two games for them. But the QPR one was was a very, very successful loan. Loved my time at QPR under Ian Holloway um, and you know eventually signing there permanently and, and you know and I, had a, I had a good time they played over 100 games for the club and it's, you know, it's a fantastic club mm. yeah and, and again another you know big size football club um, that were you know a successful spell when you left QPR you then joined Gillingham yeah, um, Ian Holloway left the club. I think Gary Waddock took over as a, on a, a caretaker role at QPR for a little while. Um, and I had my injury problems and they brought Paul Jones in. Um, and he was installed as the number one. Um, then the manager changed again. 
uh, and I played a few games, was out of favour, and I thought about knocking it on the head, to be honest. Really? Um, yeah. And then I think there was three games left at the end of the three or four games left at the end of the season. I think that season, Gillingham had had about eight lone goalkeepers. Right. And I played the last three or four games of that season under Ronnie Jepson. Um, and it gave me the buzz back a little bit, you know. Um, and then he offered me a contract for the uh, a two year contract. Uh, I think it was 37, 36, 37. Um, I thought, you know what, why not? It's, it's 45 minutes over the bridge. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let's give it another uh, last hurrah. Yeah. And it turned out to be a good move, you know, because I ended up getting player of the year, ended up winning at Wembley. Um, and had a, had a really good time there. Was uh, was Alan Julian there at the same time? Am I right? Alan Julian came a little bit later. Right. When Mark Stimson took over as manager. Okay. Um, yeah, good lad, Jules. And I think he's still playing on league somewhere, isn't yeah. he? Um, Hampton and Richmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a good lad, Jules. Yeah. Played a few first team games as well and um, was in the squad when we got promotion at Wembley. So it was. You know, it was, it was quite decent times then. Yeah. So, from Gillingham, you, you finished your career at Brentford? That's right. I, I was actually offered, uh, I was out of contract at Gillingham. Um, Steve had got the sack. Andy Hess and Tyler was taking over again. Um, and I, for the last two years under Steve I basically trained twice a week. I was 38. Um, and he wanted to get the best out of me. He wanted me to play every single game, so I only trained twice a week and played matches. Um, and I didn't, I didn't miss a game. Uh, so it was, it was the best time. But then Hessen Tyler came in, and he said, "Right, to be honest with you, I was going to release you." He said, "But we've had another thought. Perhaps if you could coach the goalkeepers and then train every day." and be registered and try and get the first team, um, we'll, we'll give you a contract. And I thought to myself, do I really want to be doing that? Actually training every day, going for like two years, training twice a week, mm. then coaching the goalkeepers and training every day. And I'm thinking that 38 is that sort of thing that I really want to do. Um, and I spoke to Brentford, Andy Scott, and he offered me the coaching role to be registered as a player, only having to train when I feel like I need to if there was a problem. Yeah. Um, and ended up going there. Yeah, so just just reverting back to Stimo there, that's good man management. Ultimately, you know, recognising you're the age that you are at the time and, and to get the best out of you, you don't really need to be training, you know, no. four or five times a week. It's, that, it's, that, that was great. It, it, it helped, you know, if I'd have trained every day, I would never have played 40. I think we played 46 games that season. Yeah. Because we got to Wembley in uh, the final and whatever. And I think, I don't think I'd ever done that in my career. I'd never done that in my career. I never did that at 38. That's incredible. Very good. So you signed for Brentford. You're, yeah. you, you signed as a uh, player goalkeeping coach. Yeah. You then hang your boots up and uh, or your gloves up, I should say, and you become the the club's full time goalkeeping coach. How did you find yes. that transition from a player to a coach? 
Um, pretty easy to be honest, because I wasn't really training, which I didn't miss. That's the one thing I didn't miss about the game was the actual day-to-day training, throwing yourself on the floor, getting kicked in the head. Um, that's the bit I really didn't miss. It was only the match day that I really missed. You know, the buzz of the buzz of match day and the crowd and what have you. Um, but going into the coaching, I got more of a buzz out of seeing, on a match day, seeing my goalkeeper do well, make a save, save a penalty, like keeping a clean sheet, getting them in the match, like doing ever so well. I got more of a buzz out of that. Um, well, I can say more of a buzz, like a similar sort of buzz, mm. as if I was doing it myself, because yeah. I know I'd had an input to it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I slid into the coaching uh, quite well. Um, I was I was on the bench for about three or four games for Brentford at the age of forty. Really? Um, I made my I made my Brentford debut at four. I mean, Brentford's oldest debutant. That's incredible, that is. Yeah, I, was, I think I was maybe just under forty-one years old. Um, but then Uwe Rosler came in. He said, "Right, we're going to finish the registration. We just want you to concentrate on the coaching now." And they just went headlong into it, done the coaching badges and, yeah. and, and bits and pieces, and and the rest is history. And I actually my record from taking goalkeepers on, uh, and then going on to bigger and better things. You know, and I don't mind saying it's, it's it wasn't bad. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's obviously a a way that goalkeeper coaches can can measure, you know, their their success by seeing, you know, the goalkeepers that they coach and, and where they hopefully go on to and, and the things that they achieve and Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes it you know, I think really that's what we all strive for is to, to work with a goalkeeper and then, you know, they go on to bigger and better. Um Yeah. So you, you, you was at Brentford for quite a while. Um Eight years. And then left the club, um, yeah. obviously worked under a, a few different managers, and then joined the coaching staff at Gillingham. How, how yeah. did that come about? Well, I left I left Brentford. I've had, I've had like I said, eight years travelling around the M25, living at half four in the morning, sleeping in the car. And I've done it for eight years, and my body was telling me I'd had enough. So I finished up there, and I come out of the game, um, I had a couple of interviews one at Charlton didn't get and then Dean Smith obviously went to Villa um, I was on the list for that didn't get that um, spoke to West Brom Darren Moore at the time I was in the last two for that didn't get that Gary Walsh got it um, and I thought you know what I'm, I'm, I think I'm done so went back into the painting decorating set up a company got very very busy just got a random phone call from Jack Bonham who I worked with at Brentford, he'd just gone to Gillingham and he said, they, they haven't got a goalkeeping coach here, do you want to put my name in? Um, I said, well, speak to him if you want. Um, so I got a phone call from Steve Evans, he said, do you want to come and have a chat about the goalkeeping coach's role here? I said, yeah, I'll come and have a chat, but I'm not sure. I said, I'm not sure the money's going to be right, what I'm earning, doing the decorating. Um, and I was quite surprised, it was okay, it wasn't too bad, I still could do the decorating on the side. Um, and I thought, you know, what's my old club? Let's give it one last hurrah. So I went in there, um, really enjoyed it. And then lockdown happened. Got furloughed until July and then got dispensed of. Right. 
um, which was disappointing. Um, and that's when I made a decision, unless something come up, which I couldn't couldn't refuse. Yeah. Uh, I thought to myself, you know, I think I'm done. I was offered the Bangladesh national goalkeeping coach's job last year, which I didn't fancy. Uh, a month away from home on a coaching, uh, like a pre-season tour sort of thing. Didn't fancy that. Um, but that's the only thing, really the only other thing that's been that's been offered. Um, so I've just got headlong head into the the pain in the decorate. So yeah, so that, that, I mean that's, that's it's interesting listening to you talk there because obviously, as you know, I'm at Dagenham and um, doing that full time and spent some time at Gillingham. Um, yeah, and it, and the, I don't think people realise really how sort of precarious at times these jobs can be. Um, yeah. You know, you might have a, a year's contract or two years contract, but, you know, they're only three months at a time. And if, if a club wants to get rid of you, they can give you three months money and off you go. Um, well, I didn't actually have a con- I never signed a contract when I went in there. Right. Um, everything was all agreed. Um, and I'm not saying whose fault it is or anything like that. Like I said, I won't speak bad about anyone, but I never actually signed a contract. I pushed a push to try and sign one just for a bit of security and mm-hmm. it never came forward. Right. And it turned out to be my downfall in the end because I just got released. That was it. See you later. 31st of July, last furlough payment, off you pop. Yeah. I, th- I, th- um, I guess. We... Which has been really disappointing, really disappointing, bearing in mind what I've done for the club and the time I'd spent there as a player. Um, and that's that's I've still got a bit of taste in my mouth over that. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine that. Um, but on the positive, you know, you you your own boss and you're doing your own things and and you don't have to sort yeah, of uh, yeah. I can uh, you know I can work when I want. I can pick up the golf clubs when I want. Obviously, when I will open again, I can go fishing when I want, and we yeah. can go away when we want. You know, when we're allowed to. You know, I'm, I can you know, I can work whatever days I want. I can come home. I haven't got an answer to anyone, apart from Mary Doors, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy. You know, I've had, okay. I've, had, I've had an unbelievable career and I knew it wouldn't it wouldn't last forever. Mm. Um, but at the moment, what I'm doing, I never thought I would actually do it. I'm actually doing one-to-one um, coaching with kids right. for Tech Lab. Um, yeah. Bertie Braley's tech lab he started with the outfield he rung me and he said you fancy doing uh, setting up a goalkeeper one so I've got six clients at the moment um, I know it's only small but we want to, we want to expand um, and I actually really enjoy it um, just an hour session age between 8 and 12 and and that's that's I'm putting a little bit back in now and I, never, like I said I never thought I'd have the patience to do that but I've really, really enjoyed it. You're just keeping me eyeing, really. That's brilliant. Um, so I've got a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Um, what has been your favourite goalkeeping shirt at Southend that you wore? Oh, my favourite my favourite goalkeeping shirt, I would say, I reckon the Telly West with all the orange, green, it would be Predominantly black. Yeah, I remember it. Black shorts, black socks, and it had orange like hexagons and green and purple hexagons on it. I think it was Telly West. I'm not sure. It was, yeah. Olympic sportswear. Was it? Yeah. I think that one. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> there's been some some very interesting, weird and wonderful uh, shirts over the years. 
I, yeah. I messaged you about um, one that I'd managed to get off of eBay. Yeah. Uh, I'm making myself sound like a very sad little man, but um, I got a Beaver one from, I think it was 91, 92 with high tech on the front, a green yeah, version. Green and yellow. Yeah, the green one was is the one that I've got phenomenal. I absolutely yeah. love that shirt. And there's a, a team photo of you. Um, Sammy's in a green one with LNX on the front, and you yeah. and Mel Capleton are, are in both uh, in a grey one. Um, uh, yeah. And yeah. I would I would do I would pay a lot of money to to own that if anyone out there's got it. Um, so, but no, that's in, that's an interesting um, <laughs> answer. So I'll tell you what I have got. I've got, um, do you remember when Tony Hendrickson signed? Yes, yeah. The shirts we had that year? Yeah, it was uh, yellow and black, or black I've and yellow. One. Have you? I've got one, and I don't know how I got hold of it. I'll tell you how I got hold of it. It was my 40th birthday. Right. And neighbours who lived three doors up were massive Southland fans. Right. And I had a party at home, Um and I, was, I think I was talking to them the week before, and, they, and I said, oh, I've not got one of my XL thing United shirts, and they managed to source one from somewhere, and they give it to me for my 40th birthday. Well, do you know what might be funny? I, I had that shirt, and I sold it on eBay, so that could be it. <laughs> <laughs> it may well be. That's, that's mad, isn't it? And I wish I hadn't sold it, but at the time, I weren't, you know, I weren't really into the collecting of, of goalkeeper shirts, but... Obviously, yeah. since I started the the glove brand all them years ago, a number of yeah. the endorsees over the years have sent me shirts and that, and it's just it's got a little bit out of hand. But the old South End ones are <clears throat> they're brilliant. So yeah. um, it's funny as well. I, I actually speak with Tony Hendrickson on uh, LinkedIn. Okay. So he's he's a nice fella. Yeah. Um, so my last question: okay. um, What would your actually? Sorry, I've got two more questions. If you um, we're at the start of your career and someone told you that you was going to have the career that you've had, would you believe them or no. would you have believed them? No, no, like I said earlier, I never thought I was good enough anyway it, from the outset. So for somebody to turn and say um, that, I would have laughed at them and said, not, not a chance. You know, I come out of school where I'm painting decorating. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've got good qualifications at school. I've done ever so well. Mm. It's quite academic. Um, but to do it as a job and um, nearly getting the England squad be on the reserve list for the England training squad playing the Premier League play with the players that I played with and then go into the coaching and do it so well no chance right that's, that's interesting um, any, any regrets I know that's a expansive question but you know if, would there be anything that you if you could go back would you change? I think um, not using uh, a reputable agent uh, when I was at Southend in my that was that like 95, 96, 97 season when Ronnie was in charge. Um, I used uh, he was a he was a friend of mine. He was a solicitor and um, he he was okay, but I. I think if I'd have gone with Paul Stratford who tried to sign me, then I think I may well have moved on because I know for a fact that there was a couple of bids made for me when I was at South End that were turned down, which I only found out about after I'd left the club. Right. Um, and I think with me knowing that I wasn't going to be signing a new contract, then 
perhaps my career might have taken a different turn. I may well have even had a better career than what I actually had. Yeah. Um, so perhaps not using uh, a reputable agent at the time, I think that was probably the only disappointment or the, the only thing that I would change. Right. Okay. That's, that's interesting. All right. So last question. Um, what would your advice be to any young goalkeepers uh, that are making to look at uh, making looking to make a career in the game? Excuse me. Listen to what people who um, know what they're talking about, uh, what they're telling you. Um, I've done a bit of coaching, like I said, with kids, um, and there's a, you know, there's there's been a couple of young kids that um, they've not really they're not really taking it on board, uh, and they're questioning me. And at 11, 12 years old, I'm thinking, you know. I'm coaching you. I've got. I've had a 27-year playing and coaching career. Please listen to me. What I'm telling you. Yes. And you look at them and you think they're not going to make it. But then you've got eight-year-olds that are. They're looking at you in the eye. They're not. Their their mind's not wandering. You know. They look at when you're telling them something. They're looking you square in the eye. You think you know what? That's. The, you've got a chance because you could be coached. Yeah. They can then have half the ability of the 12-year-old who's not listening to you and make it because it, it's, it's, it's a massive thing. You need to listen to people who know what they're talking about and take it on board. And the main thing is they just got to enjoy it, mm. especially at eight, between eight and 12 years old. Just enjoy it. Don't, and don't, you know, if you're really good and you get people coming around and wanting to sign you, don't go to... Don't go to a massive club; you get lost. Mm. For me, I think they get too many keep. Too many keepers end up thinking, "Oh no, I'm going to go and play for West Ham. I'm going to go play for Tottenham. I'm going to play for Man United." But you're not. You're just going to go in the system. I think to start with, just enjoy your football. Listen to the people who know what they're telling you, what because they know best because they've been there and they've done it. Um, and then everything will just happen. It's, everything's meant to happen for a reason. It happened to me. And it happened for a reason. Um, so that's the best advice that I'll give you anyone oh, brilliant that's brilliant advice thank you Simon we've been chatting now uh, for an hour so yeah. I'll uh, let you go and enjoy your evening thank okay. you again really really appreciate it and, and I'm Not sure problem, there'll be mate. a lot of Southend United supporters out there that will take um, a lot of interest in this and, and uh, the goalkeeping community that will be uh, listening to the pod as well will really appreciate uh, your, your experience and get a lot of value from it so I thank you for your no time problem. if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe leave us a review and follow us on social media to help spread the word of Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast.